welcome to the Top Order podcast. A bumper week for you this week. If you check in on the feed, you'll find an interview with England assistant coach and England cricketing legend Graham Thorpe. But we also had a little chat about what's going on in the world of cricket, particularly with the West Indies squad flying into England on Tuesday into a biosecure environment. Some notable pullouts from the squad, Shimron Hetmeyer, Darren Bravo and Kemar Paul. We talk about the size of the squads. We talk about where the formats are going to be triaged by the players, COVID substitutions, and whether the IPL should be played in Australia. All coming up on this little 20-minute episode of the Top Order podcast. Swish next. Welcome to the Top Order podcast. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the things going on in the world of cricket this week. Looking very likely that we might get the West Indies at least on a plane into a biosecure venue in the UK with a view to playing test matches at the Aegeus Bowl in Hampshire and also Emirates Old Trafford, which is in Manchester. But a couple of things coming up, notably 25-man squad travelling for the West Indies, three notable pullouts. So uh, Shimron Hetmeyer, Darren Bravo and Kemal Paul all asking not to travel England as well have named a 55-man training group. I think they've hesitated to call it a squad, but covering all of their bases for a summer of cricket that could see the guys in some form of controlled bubble for you know eight, nine, ten weeks. So lots to unpick there. Baldy, you've had a close eye on this this week? Yeah, I had a look at the West Indies squad that's going to come over and uh, hopefully will leave by the time this goes to air and be on their way to the UK. As you said, they'll be in lockdown for two weeks and then they'll be able to begin training with a view to playing England over a number of formats. So they've brought a squad that can cover both tests and shorter forms of the game. And they've also brought their own warm-up team. So they've brought 11 players effectively as warm-up opposition. And the reason that England have named their large squad is they've effectively got two teams test and ODI as well as their own warm-up squads for both formats so they're effectively got all their players in that squad that are completely self-contained there'll be no net bowlers there'll be no outside people coming in to train with the squad they will they will warm up against themselves for the first time perhaps ever West Indies will bring their own warm-up squad to England and will play themselves in a warm-up match so uh, cricket looking very very different but uh, interesting that three players have elected not to tour for safety concerns, uh, each citing their own personal safety concerns, but have been fully backed by the West Indian Board of Cricket. So the West Indian administration fully backed their players in their decisions to tour or not to tour and have been very clear that that won't impact their future selectability for the West Indies, which is good to see because there's been a lot of political turmoil in cricket uh, in the last few years in the West Indies. So it's good to see some stability there. Yeah, look, I mean, I want to throw it out. I mean, would you guys have gone? Yeah, so for me, I'd actually look at it the other way around. England and, look, I don't want to be doom and gloom, but England have actually pulled pin on a number of situations, look, for different reasons. So we go back to the 2003 World Cup. They didn't go to Zimbabwe. That was political concern. And look, I'm not going to go into that. I actually probably agree with what they did in that situation. And I think Henry Alonga, uh, Andy Flower, obviously put a protest together and um, they've you know, not necessarily been able to return back to Zimbabwe without a little bit of fear you know, since that point. And we talked to Tatenda Tabu about that. If the shoe was on the other foot and 
England were being asked to tour a country that was in the third biggest in terms of number of COVID-19 deaths, still not got the curve really under control. And one of those venues, Emirates Old Trafford, is in one of the COVID hotspots in the UK. I'm pretty sure England would have said, nah, we're not going. So I think I've got to give a massive amount of plaudits to the West Indies for getting on a plane mm. and probably for the diplomacy that must have gone on in the background. Because as we unpicked on an episode a couple of weeks ago, the West Indies don't get any share of revenue on this. Obviously, mm. it might impact a bilateral test series at some point and create a little bit of favour for them as a cricket board. But ultimately, they weren't going to make any cash off coming. I know the ECB have got a charter and aircraft at the cost of nearly half a million pounds, apparently, to get them over from the West Indies into these biosecure environments. But yeah, look, hats off to the West Indies, because I don't think every single test nation would have travelled under these circumstances to get games of cricket on. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, for me, for your questions, Stu, for me, the, the underlining fact is if you choose not to play, you also choose not to get paid. So I think that these players have probably taken that on board and they have decided that their health is worth more than, than that, and that's fine. Uh, but there's a lot of people around the world who at the moment, because of this fallout, don't have jobs and don't have that option. Mm. So if I was to, if I had that choice, you know, if, and I'm in a low sort of, a low risk sort of category, uh, me personally, I probably would have played. Yeah, it's a tough one. And I mean, I'm not in that situation either. I can't comment on, and I think both, if not all three of them, at least two of them have cited like family reasons for not touring. So they didn't want to have the effect on their young family and put them in jeopardy. Having had the same situation in my work and by mutual agreement, not going back to my head office in Australia to, to do something quite similar. I can't say for sure that I would have toured, although I think by all reports, it's going to be as safe as they can they can make it right but there is a risk there and I fully understand why they didn't I would probably play I think um, I probably wouldn't want to ever give up playing cricket for my country but I can fully understand and I fully support their decision not to because their health has to come first and the health of their family yeah look I, I sort of agree with all of you really that you know at the end of the day I probably would have played as well myself but um, yeah massive plaudits for the West Indies for even agreeing to, to come mm. uh, yeah England is, yeah, it's it's still out of control there. We've seen that. And on the other side, the, the health-wise, the fact that the West Indies are going to be as safe as possible is because, basically, from what I read, they're going to go to the, for seven weeks, they're all either going to be at the hotel or they're going to be at the training ground or they're going to be playing, mm. which actually, seven weeks kind of just being cooped up is going to be pretty tough for them because they're not going to have their family around. It's, it's going to be a tough environment mm. and it's going to be tough, you would think, for them to get the best out of themselves cricket-wise as well, potentially. So, you know, it, it's it's going to be tough for them. And, I, and I'm, yeah, it's, it's great to see, but I guess on the flip side, are we going to see test cricket necessarily be diminished because of this? Well, that's my next question, really. I think both sides are going to be in those biosecure bubbles. I think a lot of comments have been made about when you potentially tour somewhere like Pakistan or you go to the United Arab Emirates and play in empty stadiums but the reality is you can still get out of the hotel you can go to a nice golf course you can go out for dinner you can see whatever sites are you know available and, and secure with your security teams these guys don't even have that option they, mm. they've got uh, Emirates 
um, a hotel that's part of the ground, and that's why I think they go in there second. They're going to be into that Aegeus Bowl environment, which has got extensive grounds, an 18-hole golf course, a very big hotel and a lot of amenities so that, you know, they're going to be able to do that training piece. I think the other component there is there's two grounds, so both teams can actually have centre wicket and, you know, decent fielding practice on, you know, decent size ovals and, and maybe replicate those match conditions. Emirates Old Trafford, not the case. That's a single ground, obviously. But yeah, my, my concern really is there's talk of the teams and particularly England triaging who they're going to use in each format. So I've seen a number of the Sky Sports pundits over in the UK picking who they would have in their test side versus their ODI side. So there's some crossover there with the likes of Joe Root, Josh Butler, potentially a Johnny Bairstow, a Jofra Archer, Ben Stokes even. Mm. And they're talking about will they feature in the long form or short form games because they, they think that they might split up those squads. Then we come on to stuff like the COVID substitution. So it's looking like the ICC are going to allow those. But again, we, we discussed this. What happens if first slip tests positive yeah. and he's been standing a metre away from the keeper and mm. second slip and third slip and, and handing the ball to each other the whole st- time? Standing up to a batsman uh, when a spinner's bowling. So what what's the protocol there? How are they actually going to manage that situation? So yeah, I, I think there's still quite a few questions and and that's not even going into things like will the ball swing and and all those kind of Mm. components as well right so so that's all the physical side we haven't even touched on the mental side of being effectively isolated from your family in a high pressure environment competing with people that you've actually got to try and protect as well so those guys in that squad will be wanting to play they'll be they'll be competing against the guy sitting next to him at dinner you've got to look after that guy because he's your buddy and you don't want him to get sick and, and you want to be all in this together. But effectively, you're you're competing against that guy. So the, the potential mental health impacts of, of being locked down in a squad like this can either galvanise a squad and bring them together, but in a cricket team where you're effectively competing against your mate half the time for a spot in the side, it could be con- quite concerning. And I hope that all of these teams are bringing really well-prepared mental health professionals with them to try and coach them through some of these aspects of it because... It can be a really lonely game cricket, and if if they're all playing like against each other consistently over a long series, uh, it you know, and it, and someone gets on top of you, there's no there's no way to hide. There's no literally nowhere to hide. You're in the same facilities as each other. You're seeing each other all the time. So, um, hopefully, the the from a mental health perspective, it's a relatively even series because if one team gets on top of the other, it could be, um, it could be quite uh, one sided. Yeah, and I mean, you touched on family there. Joe Root's expecting a baby, is that right, I think? So there's a chance that, you know, he'll have to then leave the squad and then, you know, miss some of those test matches. Yeah, look, I'm not sure what the situation is other than that his wife, I think, is due on the first day of the first test. Wow. So, um, again, that potentially... And look, that could that could happen in a non-COVID environment. And yeah. I think we've seen big-name players obviously miss games for family reasons. And I think if you go back... 10 years that didn't happen you, you look at the likes of a Shane Warne he speaks quite openly about the fact that I think it, the ACB actually refused to allow him to fly home for a couple of days when there was a gap on an Ashes tour to go and oh, see wow. his son look um yeah check the facts on that yeah, but, week, week with warning check with that week with warning but look regardless of whether that is the case and my recollection is correct or not players didn't leave tours necessarily to go and see the birth of their, you know, their children. They got a fax at the hotel and had a cigar with their mates. And then they're, you know, 
out on uh well on the pitch the next day and probably on the piss the night before as well um so look jokes aside i think it is going to have that that really really big impact the other thing i'd say i think the premier league has just announced some of the conditions for its return and they're looking at neutral venues potentially for some of those premier league games we're in a run-in where liverpool are runaway leaders you'd expect them to lift the trophy if they can complete the season but you've also got that kind of relegation piece at the bottom of mm. the table. There's a couple of things that are going to change. So neutral venues for Premier League games, which is completely unheard of. So this is about revenue. And the other thing is they're changing a significant playing condition, which is they're allowing five substitutions for the remaining oh, wow. games of the Premier League season. So significantly altering the fabric of the game in order to get it onto TV. Mm. Um now, I think we need sport in this environment. You know, I am itching to watch some live sport of, of, of any consequence. But there's always, for me, going to be an asterisk against these games because the conditions and the, the way that they're being played is going to be so different mm. to what you would normally expect. Yeah, and I mean... The, a couple of associations have come out and said that there's a possibility that, and it was on Crick Info this week, the possibility that international sides could be playing two different formats on the same day. And that's where this whole picking two different squads kind of has started. So this schedule that all of this cricket that was scheduled from sort of March this year through to February next year is all going to be compressed into a really tight window. And if you have the IPL taking up a big chunk of that, which, you know, by all reports, it, it should because it's a massive tournament. Um, we're going to see the possibility of New Zealand playing Australia in a test match and England playing New Zealand in a T20 on the same day. Well, that's a nice segue to a question on the IPL. So it's been mentioned on our Facebook page. Tom Freeman has written in. I'm going to redact the praise from his post, but he did ask us a question as well, which is one thing he'd thought of was the ability of a less COVID-affected country to host the IPL this year opened with IPL2 in South Africa. Could it happen in Australia this year? So go back to back with the IPL, the BBL and potentially the T20 World Cup. And you might even get some fans in the stadium. The second part of that question for me is I heard some comments from Ravi Shastri this week who has said that he thinks if there's a choice between the IPL and the Cricket World Cup, surprise, surprise, the IPL should be the one that takes precedence. And mentioned... It pumps nearly three billion US dollars into that Indian economy, the IPL. So, first thing is, you know, ca can we see um, that being a, a, a real viable option? And what do we think about it? I guess that's sort of my feeling around the whole COVID situation. And it's to me, it's a great opportunity for them to try some things. And I mean, we spoke with Neil Maxwell last week. Listeners will be on our last latest episode. He, you know, he talked about franchise cricket and, and the way that it might go and how important those domestic leagues are going to be. This is a great opportunity to kind of test some of that. Maybe the ICC doesn't want to do that because they want to make sure their, their big tournaments are still really important. But actually trying something different and showcasing cricket for what it can be feels like a better option to me in this environment than trying to piece together these tours that you've planned in an environment where it doesn't actually quite work anymore and it's you're, you're compromising things whereas they could you know potentially go to australia or you know wherever come to new zealand yeah um but you know 
they could sort something out and it actually make it a massive showcase for the game and something interesting and then go, okay, well, in another year's time, we'll go back to our normal schedule of events and then figure out what's going to happen after that. Yeah, the UAE have put their hand up and, and or thrown their hat in the ring and said, we're happy to host the, host the IPL tournament. I think they would do a really good job. They've got some good venues there and obviously lots of really good facilities for the, for the players as well. I think the UAE are in a massive... Uh, trouble with COVID as well. From Are what they I really? Can tell. I mean, uh, yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, listeners. But um, yeah, when I did a quick Google before when I read that same report, mm. they seem to have thirty-eight thousand cases or wow. something. Like maybe they're on the the downside of it. But well, yeah. I mean, not to big up not to big up the Australian involvement, but the New South Wales government has a, has announced that they'll allow crowds back into rugby league venues as of as early as next week uh, potentially. So. It looks like there'll be crowds back at sport um, by the time this, if not this goes to air, then then pretty close to it. So there is potentially an opportunity to host the IPL elsewhere outside India. Not to say that India by September, October couldn't host it themselves and do a bloody great job keeping those players, you know, if not isolated, then in, in secure facilities and, and whatnot as well. So um, I'm looking I'm looking forward to the IPL tournament this year, perhaps more than I ever have just to see some really high-quality cricket played. And I hope off the back of that we get a really good World T20 World Cup tournament as well. So I think the biggest problem that we're facing at the moment in cricket is that we know we want to play, but we don't know how we're going to do it. Mm. And everyone's talking about you know getting the IPL going, getting the future tours or tours in general going, but no one's actually providing the direction, and maybe the ICC should be, mm. providing the direction about how we're going to do it. They've put out that whole guidelines document we talked about last time. Mm-hmm. It says we shouldn't do this, shouldn't do that, shouldn't do that. But then how are we actually going to play the game? Mm-hmm. Ravi Shastri there is talking about how $3 billion are going to be pumped into the economy. Is it really going to be like that? I don't... Mm-hmm. I don't. Well, it's inter- it, sorry, I, I didn't want to interrupt you there, but there was a really interesting article on Crick Info this week that talked about the impact, winners and losers, of whether or not the IPL would go ahead. And one of the one of the people that they interviewed was an apparel provider. So they their company provide apparel for four or six of the Indian teams, depending on what, what year that they were doing it for. And he was saying that the demand for apparel this year is through the floor. No one wants to buy jerseys. They can't move jerseys. They've got hundreds of thousands of dollars of stock sitting in their warehouse that they can't get rid of because no one wants to buy jerseys because no one's going to the ground to watch the games. So while there might be a lot of TV money involved, for a lot of the smaller guys, the people attending the stadiums, the people providing the, the food and the concessions, the people outside the grounds, um, all of those people will still be affected by the lack of fans showing up to the game. So let's hope that they can get fans into the and ground. What that leads to is that we don't actually have the crowds there. We don't have people in India going, travelling there, watching the IPL. So why don't we have it in Australia? It's a great point that Mr Freeman makes. Why not come to somewhere in the world where there is no COVID at the moment or, mm. or lesser levels of it? And there's no reason why we can't create a television structure i mean we don't want to be playing games at 2 3 a.m to to make it prime time for the indian tv market but you know the stranger things have happened we held the olympic swimming finals at like 11 30 at night to make it palatable for u.s television audiences and stuff like that so you know who's to say that couldn't happen as well and i i wonder in a way now listening to you talk guys talk about this and your point there raj around how we're going to actually make this happen I wonder if these test matches and these tours that are scheduled and they are going to try and play, I wonder if they're going to be the guinea pigs, really, you know, for the ICC and for the IPL and all these other big tournaments yep. to go, hey, look what we did in this tournament. Yep. 
and look what we did in this series. And if it doesn't go well in the, you know, if something happens in the West Indies England series, maybe they think, oh, actually, that doesn't matter a huge amount in mm. terms of our financials. Let's test it out on a couple of these things and then. You know, then we can do it in the IPL. Yeah, absolutely. Have a look at the Australian schedule this summer. Afghanistan and Zimbabwe scheduled to play Australia in regional venues. I know Townsville's got a couple of games in August and October against, uh, actually, I think New Zealand women are playing in Townsville as well. Um, so they are absolutely experimental. Can we get this game into a different area? Can we show that we can host international cricket in Australia in the lead up to that World Cup, potentially an IPL tournament? It's going to be like the movie industry, isn't it? Everyone's going to be um, down in New Zealand filming Avatar and Peter Jackson movies from a cricketing context. But look, I, I guess on a serious note, bringing 20 teams in or 11 teams in for an IPL or eight teams for a big bash or whatever that might be is a pretty big logistical exercise. And I think when you've got second spikes potentially going on in other countries, I don't think the players are going to be particularly happy to travel somewhere that okay, they might be relatively safe in their biosecure bubble going to play cricket for six or seven weeks. But then when borders close or family members are struggling, they can't get home. And that's, you know, been one of the things that's definitely gone on. So I think lots and lots to run on this, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, but th there's hope there, right? I mean, we've seen it with New Zealand. The Warriors were pr prepared to make tremendous personal sacrifices to try and you know, go to Australia, go through lockdown, prepared to get that league back up and running. And so those guys did everything they could to to get that league up and running because it was about survival for them. And if this is about survival for cricket, then I wouldn't be surprised if there's lots of, we need to do everything we can to get this tournament ahead because it's our own personal financial future. It's the financial future of the game. Is cricket well um, secure, is cricket secure enough financially to withstand a summer of no cricket? I wouldn't say so. Um, not in the way that we see it moving forward. So I would imagine that cricket cricket associations and tournament organisers will be doing everything they can to get cricket on the field um, and trying to address, as, as you rightly point out, Adam, a lot of those really important safety concerns. Yeah, I think like Binksy's just said, there's... All of this raises more questions than than answers, really. And uh, you know, we're going to see what how it all plays out. And and I guess in a way, it's exciting that we've got international cricket coming up in in a few months or in a few weeks. And and really, let's just hope it all goes smoothly and we can figure out what's going to happen next after that. So that wraps up this section of the pod and the pod itself as well this week. You'll find us on all of our normal social media channels at Top Order Pod. You can get our website www.thetoporderpodcast.com or email us thetoporderpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.